Today on Feeding My Faith, quit waiting for your apology. You're listening to Feeding My Faith with David Jackson. And this is Carrie Green from the Christian Home and Family Podcast and ChristianHomeandFamily.com. I wanted to let you know real quickly a way that you can help out David in his efforts here at Feeding My Faith. You can go to iTunes and find his show, Feeding My Faith, and leave a review and a positive comment. And that will help David to help more people actually feed their faith. Hey, God bless you. Have fun enjoying the show. I'm here to praise your name, Lord. That's what I'm talking about. I'm here to lift the name of Jesus high. All right, welcome to Feeding My Faith. I'm your host, Dave Jackson, from the School of Podcasting.com. And if you're new to the show, anytime I'm reading the Bible or a, a faith-based book and something strikes me, I always like to share it. I'm, I'm trying to increase the, what's the word? Not value. Not, I guess the strength, the bond I have between myself and Jesus Christ. And I've been listening to the Bible in a chronological order. So being that it's about the end of the year, I'm getting into the crucifixion. Unfortunately, that means I'm going to probably end the year in Revelation And it's a bummer because the beginning of the Bible, especially around Exodus and Deuteronomy, ugh, gets uh, in there. A part of Proverbs, not Proverbs, but um, the whole thing with Solomon building the temple. There are parts, there are parts of the prophets that, to me, I say are the inspired word of God, but not always inspiring. But here's the thing that as I was listening to this story, that I went, hey, wait a minute. And that is in Luke 23. Verse 34, it's a very famous verse. Everybody knows this one. Here it is. Let's give you the story. Jesus is innocent. He's been spit on by the the chief priests and the, the Pharisees. He's been smacked. He's been whipped. He's been beat to a bloody pulp. And now he's been crucified. He's on the cross basically suffocating and bleeding to death. And in Luke 23, verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. So here, the people that are responsible for nailing the nails into your hands and feet are playing games with your clothes. And Jesus says, Hey, daddy, God, cut these guys some slack. Now to me, that is amazing. And this is something I'm struggling with. And that is there are times if someone hurts me, They say something, they do something, whatever it is. And I'm like, oh, no, are you kidding me? And it hurts. I'm like, wow, don't you know that hurts me? Don't you realize those words kind of hit below the belt? Don't you realize your actions hit below the belt? And here's the fun thing. I will make a checklist, baby. I will remember that one. And I may not be. I won't be rude, 
but I'm not going to be quite as friendly as I was before you launched that missile at me. And I'm going to kind of remember that, and I might actually bring it up later to say, hey, you kind of owe me on that one. You, you got to, can I have a little apology here? And it dawned on me, here's Jesus who's gone through this torture and the guys at the bottom of the cross are playing a game with his clothes. There's nobody there going, hey, Jesus, Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, I, I know you're like really, really hurt and uh, you're probably having a hard time breathing right now, but I just want to let you know, my bad, you know, I'm, I'm just following orders and uh, I hope you don't really hold this against me, the whole, you know, nails and the, the, the hammer and, you know, the whole beating thing, really sorry about that one too. But, uh, you know, it's my job. Just doing my job. Nothing personal. It's just business. Jesus didn't get an apology. He didn't wait for an apology. He said, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And I was like, whoa. And, And I thought about this. Because when you harbor unforgiveness in you, It's kind of poison. We've talked about what are you filling yourself up with? And the thing is, if you fill yourself, if you start making a list and checking it twice of all the people that have been naughty and not nice, you are taking up valuable room in your heart. And Jesus we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It's all Jesus looks at your heart. It's all about your heart. In fact, in Matthew 23:26, he is going off on the Pharisees. And and God bless him because you talk about paparazzi, every time Jesus sneezed, there was a Pharisee going, "Hey, you're not allowed to sneeze on the Sabbath, buddy." And I would have lost it way before he did. But he says, this is in the NIV, it's Matthew 23:26. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. So here again, Jesus goes back to me. If your heart is in the right place, your actions are going to reflect what your heart is. And if your heart is filled with unforgiveness, you're taking up valuable real estate there and you're blowing it. And so sometimes, yeah, you know what? You may not get that apology you want, you may not get that apology you need. So where are you going to get that peace? And that comes from Christ. Let him, you know, let God figure it out. And there's a, the old joke, you know, kill them all, let God figure it out. Well, you know what? In some cases, you know, vengeance is mine. Say it. Let, let God handle that. If you've truly been a victim of injustice, And you're not going to get justice. Realize that God has a plan for you with no pain. And he wants you to prosper. He's got a plan. And you might be hindering that plan by hindering a grudge. In Proverbs 17.9, it says, He who covers and forgives an offense seeks love. But he who repeats or harps on a matter, separates even close friends. In Second Chronicles 7.14, If my people 
who are called by my name shall humble themselves, pray, seek, crave, and require of necessity my face and turn from their wicked ways, better known as ask for forgiveness, then I will hear, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. So we're supposed to ask for forgiveness. We don't always get that. But maybe we need to ask for forgiveness for harboring a grudge. Right? If we can't, if we're not going to get our apology, and sometimes we're not, then it's time for us to say, God, take this burden from me. Help me forgive this person. I hate to read on a podcast, but this is from the book, The Christian Atheist, When You Believe in God But Live As If He Doesn't Exist. And there's a phenomenal story of forgiveness here, and I just I want to relay this to you. Uh, in the uh, the book here, he says, I found out that my little sister, and, and just think of, I mean, this guy had the ultimate little sister relationship, right? You look out for your little sister, you want to protect her. And he found out that his little sister had been molested for years by a close family friend. Max had been Lisa's sixth grade teacher. He taught me to play racquetball, shopped at my dad's retail store, and often cheered for my sister at her school drill team performances. At the time, the single man in his mid-30s seemed like a nice person looking for friends. Our family readily accepted him, unaware that behind the supportive teacher facade was a very sick man who repeatedly abused numerous girls over many years. To say I wanted Max to die and burn in hell doesn't even begin to convey how much I wanted him to suffer. All the words rage, hate, and revenge came to mind when I think about Max. The English language simply doesn't have a word for what I felt. We all know Christians are supposed to forgive, but many of us Christian atheists think that there are exceptions to this rule. Sure, we should forgive most of the time, but even almost, but maybe even almost all of the time. But forgive a guy like Max, forget about it. Now, hopefully you've never experienced something that hurt you as deeply as Max hurt our family. Unfortunately, chances are good that you have or that someone you know has. But some accounts, one in three girls and one in four boys in America will be victims of sexual abuse. And sexual abuse is one of the countless different kinds of betrayal. You might have confided in somebody who betrayed your trust. Perhaps a close friend gossiped about you or cheated you out of money. Maybe your spouse lived a secret life and crushed you. If you're like many, one or both of your parents did something that deeply disappointed you. Perhaps right now, you're really in pain from being trampled by someone you loved and trusted. After the raw shock of discovering Max's abuse of my sister... One feeling festered inside me, and that was bitterness. Truthfully, feeling bitter felt right. I mean, what else should I feel? After what he did to so many innocent little girls, he should suffer like they suffered, right? One day, Max will get what's coming to him. As a Christian atheist, I felt justified in my bitter hatred, but the Bible clearly illustrates the dangers of this natural response. One verse in Hebrews is easy to miss. It's tucked between one verse about holiness and another about sexual purity. Hebrews 12.15 says, See to it 
that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. The root of bitterness grows in the soil of hurt that has not been dealt with properly. Now, unknown to me, a root of bitterness started to grow in my heart. Roots absorb and store, and my heart absorbed and stored hurt, anger, hatred, and thoughts of revenge. Love keeps no record of wrongs, but bitterness keeps detailed accounts. And that's what I did. Over and over, I played the story in my mind. Each time I pictured Max, my hatred grew. My sister was permanently scarred by this cruel offense, and as her brother, I took her offense as my own and allowed her wound to stain, pollute, and contaminate my heart. Bitterness is frighteningly easy to justify. Since I've been wronged, I have a right to feel this way. Now, when you pull up a weed from the ground, if you don't get the roots, the weed will return. And that's the way it is with bitterness. Now, according to Ephesians 4:31 through 32, the only way to eliminate the root of bitterness is forgiveness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. Now, I'm going to vary away from the book, and I'm reading just different parts. But the next time you find yourself in a sporting goods store, I want you to do something. I want you to go over and pick up a 20-pound weight and carry it with you throughout the store. If you're in a grocery store, go to the milk aisle first and pick up a gallon and carry it. Don't put it in the cart. Carry it with you. That is what bitterness is. It's something that weighs you down something that hinders your growth. And you will find out that over time, that weight gets very, very heavy. So in this case, Craig, the author of the book, he says, I sat in church one Sunday. My pastor preached a convicting message on forgiveness, explaining how we should release those who wronged us. As he read the words from Scripture commanding me to forgive, Everything in me screamed, no, I do not want to forgive Max. I refuse to release him. Now, in Luke 6.28, Jesus teaches us to bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. And he thought, I'm supposed to pray for those who mistreat me? Sure, I'll pray for Max. I'll ask God to give him a case of eternal hemorrhoids. I certainly wasn't ready to pray for anything good. He says, later I stumbled across another one of Jesus' annoying commands. This one is found in Matthew 5, 43 through 44, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. There it is again. Love and pray for your enemies. So what Craig did, he says, out of sheer obedience to God, I simply prayed a grudging but obedient three-second prayer. God, I pray you work in his life. And over the weeks and months, I continue uttering these same words. At first, it was a painful, it was painful as walking barefoot on burning coals, but eventually it became bearable. Then I actually started to mean what I was praying. God, work in his life. 
And when we're told to pray for those who hurt us, I'm convinced our prayers are as much for ourselves as they are for the offender. As God has helped me move beyond my Christian atheist doubts about prayer, now I see as an added value of praying for those who hurt me. My prayers for others may or may not change them, but my prayers always changed me. Praying for Max over time changed me. It made me a different person, so different that I began to contemplate the impossible, asking God to help me forgive Max. So how do you forgive something so heinous, right? The answer here again is simple, but it's the farthest thing from easy. We say that all the time. The the act of being a Christian is not hard to understand, but it's not easy to implement. And in Colossians 3.13, it teaches us to forgive as the Lord forgave you. God has forgiven us freely and completely without any strings attached. And that's how we're supposed to forgive others. It's what's known as the Lord's Prayer, right? We've kind of heard that one. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who sin against us. And in this case, the author was torn between wanting to obey God and wanting just as much to continue hating. He says, I wrestled mightily in prayer with these verses. Still swimming in a pool of pain and bitterness, I decided it was time to for, try to try to forgive Max. He said, I used the word decide. This was a decision based on my choice to obey Scripture, not a decision based on whether I felt like forgiving. Nothing. Nothing in me felt like forgiving, but I still made the choice to try. So by faith, I asked God to help me forgive Max for what he'd done to my sister. By faith, I told God that I re- I released Max from his sin. My prayer didn't feel sincere, but at least I was trying. Daily, I bounced between wanting to forgive and wanting revenge. By nothing short of the power of God, I finally started to believe forgiveness was possible. I can't overstate what God had to do in my heart to get me to this point. A grown man had maliciously abused my little sister, a sixth grade girl. I mean, this guy cruelly groomed and preyed on innocent children. And he never apologized. He never attempted to right his wrongs. He never begged for forgiveness. And In this case, the author's heart was stone hard and only God, only God can soften it to the point that he could even consider forgiving this molester. And that's what God did. He says to this day, I don't know exactly how or when it happened, but it did. By God's grace, he says, I had forgiven Max for his sin and abuse. With God's help, I'd done the humanly impossible And I felt as though a spiritual weight had been lifted. Now think about that when you put that gallon of milk down in the grocery store. He says, the Bible became clear. God seemed nearer. My heart was pure. He says, one Christmas, when I was visiting my parents, I decided to write Max a letter expressing my forgiveness. Now this task wasn't easy but that's often par for the course. In the letter, I explained how much God had forgiven me. I told Max the story of Jesus and his love for us. I explained that I had forgiven him and that God could as well. I included a short prayer that he might pray 
asking Jesus to heal his heart and forgive his sins. I didn't realize that Max's sickness had advanced. See, Max was actually, he had uh, muscular dystrophy. He says, in fact, at the time he received a letter, Max was under the care of a hospice nurse waiting for an inevitable death. Now, months after Max passed away, his nurse sent us a letter asking if she could talk to us. When we agreed, she told us about the last days of Max's life, believing we needed to know. The caregiver explained that Max's eyesight had deteriorated and that he had asked her to read him the author's note. And although she wasn't aware of what he had done, and the author never told her, it was obvious to her that he had done something grievously wrong. According to the nurse, he listened with tears streaming down his face. He asked her to pray the prayer with him. She recalled that his whole countenance changed as he asked Christ to forgive him and make him new. And he died a few days later. We can rationalize many excuses as we need to avoid forgiving. You know, us Christians, however, we can find God in the sheer strength to battle through the feelings of anger, the feelings of hatred and bitterness, and we can fight our way back to the cross. That's where Christ forgave us, and that's where, by faith, we can find the ability to forgive those who have wronged us. Jesus forgave those who didn't ask for an apology. And through the power of Jesus, you can move past the bitterness. You can move past the hatred. There are so many other things to fill your heart with. And so many things that holding on to that is stopping you from growing as a person. And this is something I struggle with. And when I read that story, I was like, all right, it's time for me. And there are days when people do things that I'm like, ow. And I start to make that list. All right, you did this. You said this. And I'm not doing anything nice for you until I get an apology. I hold my love for ransom. Jesus didn't hold his love for ransom. He died for everyone. He died knowing the horrible things we were going to say and the horrible things we we're going to do. And he said, yeah, I know these people aren't perfect, but I love them enough that I'm going to die for them. He forgives us. And he can heal the hearts. If, if you have somebody who's not talking to you because you've hurt them, you can offer an apology and you may be honestly, completely, truly sorry and their hearts have turned to stone. The Bible says if you have faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain and it may take time. It may not be on your timetable, but God can soften their heart. So just start praying that three-second prayer. God, work in their life. God, help them to, to see me. And he can work 
miracles. Never underestimate the power of God. Never underestimate the power of Jesus. That's the other thing that kind of blew me away is I've been listening to this, the stories of all the miracles that that Jesus did. And you know what's amazing about this? Jesus said, I'm going to, I'm going to tear down the temple and build it up in three days. And the disciples didn't understand what he meant. And when he died and rose again on the third day and, and the ladies came to them and said, Hey, I saw Jesus. They didn't put two and two together. They didn't believe it. In fact, they saw him and didn't believe it. And then later he showed up and said, seriously, you guys aren't believing it. Seriously. Here I am. Then they got it. We're not always the quickest people on the planet. Sometimes it takes a little longer for things to sink in. But when it does, it changes us. And then we can go out and tell others, hey, quit carrying around that milk. Quit carrying around that bitterness. Quit carrying around that grudge. There are other things you can put in your heart that'll make your life better. And I know it's hard. I know it sounds, it's easy. Sounds easy. But it's easy. It's not as easy as it sounds. It's simple. Put it down. Put it down. It's not easy. But you can do it. So I want to thank you for tuning in. I'm hoping this podcast finds you with a heart that's not filled with bitterness. And if it is, I'm telling you, it's poison. It's like they said, it's a root. It's a root that's going to grow and take up valuable space in your heart. And you got to pull it up and you got to pull it up by the root. And sometimes you got to dig in the dirt to find the roots. And it's no fun digging in the dirt, but you can do it. Again, don't be afraid. Jesus said he is always with you. And there are times we don't want to go into places because they're dark, they're nasty. You just don't want to go there. You're not alone. And you can do this. He's got a plan for you to prosper, to not have pain. But to to find out what that plan is, you got to fill your heart with the word. you got to fill your heart with the Bible. Start putting in Jesus and and if you run out of room, start taking a list. Okay, look, we got a we got a bunch of boxes of bitterness here. Throw them out, along with all your records. Come on, you don't have a turntable. Get rid of those. And it's time to make room for Jesus. So, I will leave you with that. Thank you so much. Have a blessed holiday season. Remember, I was kind of bummed out. I'll leave you with this little story. I went out with my family. Thanksgiving evening and I felt dirty as I waited in line at Walmart and I thought really is saving $30 on a toaster or whatever it is is that really as important as hanging out with my family and my other family went to Best Buy and we were all out trying to save a buck and I just thought this isn't what the holidays are about The holidays are supposed to be about family. The holidays are supposed to be about the birth of Jesus Christ. 
and I won't be going back on Black Friday. And I'm going to try to talk my family and you know what? It's let's stay here and play cards and talk and bond and watch movies and create memories about being together, not memories about saving $18 on a toaster. I guess we all have to do things sometimes to appreciate what we have. So thank you so much. Our website is feedingmyfaith.com. If you are going Christmas shopping online, you can go over to supportthisshow.com and click on the links there. I will earn a small commission for that and help support the show with the bandwidth and such. Thank you for listening and uh, may God bless you. Take care.